Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. Trends are defined as a general direction in which something is developing or changing. In today's climate, associations need to be sure they're staying current with trends so they don't fall behind. While there are so many different trends, we may begin to wonder which one's the right one for our association. How do you approach your leadership and share what trends will bring in a return on your investment? What trends might hinder your future success? And how can we be prepared for these? Our guest today will help us explore these topics while outlining some trends that you should be thinking about. Well, Applebaum, FASAE, CAE, CPF is the CEO and strategy catalyst of Vistacova, a company that partners with organizations on strategic visioning and planning. He's worked inside associations on membership and value, volunteer leadership establishment and growth, professional development and learning, and a variety of other key areas of association management. We're excited to have you today, Lowell. How are you? I'm great, Nick. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. So as we get ready to talk about some trends, um, first, can you just share a little bit more uh, about yourself, how you got into kind of the world that you're in today? Yeah, I think like most of those of us that are in association world, uh, a little bit by accident, but it was almost like destiny calling, if you will. Like once you find it, you're like, oh, I'm home. So my background, I have a master's in informal education, a focus in leadership. I'm in a doctoral program for the same uh, and never wanted to be in a classroom. And lo and behold, found associations. So my first gig was a student and corporate relations professional with chemical engineers. Had a series of increasing positions there, mainly in science, engineering, and medical realms until I was a COO. And the mission side of it, right, that the heart of the mission side of it always sang to me, always spoke with them, to me. Uh, and so from there, was at a point of crossroads and missed working with boards and leadership. And so for the past five and a half years, had us, have had my company, Vistacova, and certified professional facilitator. Uh, and I love conversations about trends because we work with dozens of organizations a year. And so get to hear from trade individual member to state to national to global, uh, all the different places that organizations that have mission at their core, uh, although profit helps them advance mission, that, that seems like they're trying to focus in this very disrupted time. Absolutely. Well, we're again, we're excited to have you here. I think this will be uh, a very interesting uh, conversation just as we think about, you know, even just the past couple of years, right, how much has shifted, but how much will continue, I think, to shift over the next few years. As we think about trends, I, mean, I think where I'd like to start our conversation would you define trends as kind of today thinking or is it future thinking? That's an interesting question. So I think it's how the frame of trends are used. I think in particular pre-2020, although there was still a shift happening at that time, the concept of trends, trends was can you identify past patterns that are going to give you indications of what is approaching, right? And so hopefully, can we rely on what we once knew? data and data analytics and what you see uh, to, I don't want to say predict with a crystal ball, right, but to at least have some idea of what's on the horizon. Uh, there was some voices in the space, certainly voices in the for-profit space that trend should also be about foresight, but I'd say from a data-driven perspective, I, I found the conversation was a lot more reflective in nature. Come the past three years, you see so much of that which we once held true as we could rely upon to have been disrupted, uh, that whereas we do look reflectively on what are sort of high points and low points we want to learn from, the idea of trend analysis being a reflection of the past 
Uh, we still want to be data driven, but you can't hold on to it the same way. And so proactive organizations, I find, are really trying to gain a greater skill set uh, in what Jeff DeCanyon calls foresight, right, and many others as well. But the idea of can we identify not just past trends, but trends that are in the near future and the far future, so that as we think about the horizon, we're better prepared for what those disruptors could be, because they could be challenges or they could be opportunities. Either way, if we wait till they're here and behind us to reflect upon them, we've missed the opportunity. Uh, so I think I, I'd identify that organizations focusing on trends are looking for the patterns where there are opportunities or challenges approaching because of their mission, their structure, their people, uh, and their strengths, that they have a particular space that they could thrive in those dis opportunities or challenges where they're going to have to find a way to overcome the challenges, if you will. And those, hopefully, those places of significance, those trends, allow an organization to be better prepared to take advantage of those moments. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting too. Um, I believe you were at ASAE, um, yes. but their theme this year, right, was disruption equals opportunity. And I think uh, ties really well into a lot of what you've just said, because all these trends, right, we're, we're trying to figure out what's going to disrupt us right down the road. Um, what can we learn from the past? And I, I feel like I heard it from a couple yeah. sessions while I was there that they were kind of mentioning we can't rely on the you know the 15 year data trend anymore we need to rely on the two to three year trend which i think um, stresses some people out right because they're like but that's what we've always done but that creates that disruption that that's no longer a valid model anymore right to look at wow. um kind of what's coming down the road well you know a question i love to ask groups when we're talking about trends and thinking ahead to the future and working on strategy uh, i love to ask leaders what do you wish you would have known february 1st 2020. Mm. Right. Because February 1st, 2020, you got about six weeks until things like shut down. And at that point, you COVID was in the world. Right. It was already starting to spread. So smart organizations and smart leaders were like, OK, like the first ones are already here. Like it isn't just mm -hmm. contained. Right. Where you were at this liminal moment where you couldn't change the course of history necessarily. But there was enough time to think about if we look what's coming, what would we do differently, right? What's coming, what would we do differently with our technology and our staff setups, mm -hmm. right? Six weeks to prepare to go virtual potentially means you're ahead of the curve of being of like everyone else trying to get all the technology to go virtual, right? Mm -hmm. Six weeks ahead means gathering your leadership, saying what is this gonna do to the impact of our revenue streams or in-person gatherings? And I think, once you ask that question, and you have people talk about that personally too, what's interesting to reflect there is that in that moment, trends aren't something that are 10 years away, right? In that moment, trends were six weeks away mm -hmm. and then the ensuing years. And if you use that as a model, then trends don't have to be this like far off thing we can't identify. So for instance, a smart organization's leadership in March of this year, in March of 22, would have seen the first land incursion in Europe, right, to start a war happen. And what they should have done was within a day or two of seeing that actually happen, or even before, because we were talking, the news was talking about it a week or two before this was about to happen, right, would be to gather their officers or gather their board for a half hour and 45 minutes to just have an initial conversation about what are the implications for our universe from this global societal shifting trend, right? Perhaps they're a local or state. And so like, all right, so our members aren't there, but are any of our suppliers represented there? Mm -hmm. Any of our member companies represented there? 
If we think about what the implicating cascading factors are going to be on travel, on fuel, right? Is this going to possibly impact our plan, our scope of work for the next 12 months, right? And not that they would have known. Trends, if you look to the future, aren't about knowing. But by starting that conversation sooner, they could have said, okay, what do we want to be watching for in the next four weeks? Who do we want to talk to? What information do we want to try to discover? So that as we need to make critical resource investment decisions, as we have to communicate confidence to our members, they're aware that we're looking, right? And we're listening. And we're hopefully navigating in a way that we are fulfilling our duty to properly manage the resources they've invested to advance mission. And I think that happens all the time. I mean, it happened last week, right? The death of the queen, the lo like longest serving for how long? This is a moment of transition again. Now, look, hopefully this is a little bit smoother of one, <laughs> right? But again, societal disrupting events that have mm -hmm. cascading implications Organizations that are strong in a strategic capacity recognize that when these things happen, they see them happening, brief sprint conversations of cascading implications for our organization, our membership, our universe, help to develop a skill set of fluency and trend identification and analysis that can be helpful to an organization's leadership. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have to laugh because as you talk, all I can think is, when am I going to find time to do any of that? Um, so I'm yeah. curious if you have recommendations for how you make space to think about this kind of stuff, right? Because I think that's the, the, the crux of this is to be thinking about these things happening um, and being intentional about that this is a part of your job, right? Yeah. Um, at all levels, because I think sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day. -day. I need to update the database. I need to make sure this invoice goes out. I need to make sure this event schedule is online, right? Like we get caught up in these, in that scope of work that sometimes I think we lose sight of the ability to think about these kinds of things. So what kind of recommendations do you have for association professionals, large and small, to make space for this? Yeah, I have a few thoughts on that. Uh, the first is that if you assume everyone's going to do it, no one does it. Right. And so, frankly, there are those that are better global listeners and can identify and curate, right, and identify key things. And so, you want to try to find those personnel or those volunteers that enjoy that kind of broad listening. Who are the ones that are like scanning the news every morning, right? Who are the ones that want to be immersed in trying to listen to these things? Uh, and there's ways to proactively do it. Uh, you know, I know some organizations that invest in professional development, especially with the board of directors, by having a list of publications. And each year, each board member gets to choose one. The organization pays for a subscription to it, right? And then the aligned board member or leader is then expected to go through it and to like identify for the organization things they see, right? So in that way, it's a shared responsibility. But that being said, you, you want sort of a, uh, a guru or a Jedi, if you will, right? That's the one that's curating all that. And so I think having that as an assigned position in volunteer leadership and ideally having that as a space on set agendas, right? Whether it's an internal staff, senior staff agenda uh, or a board agenda, right? It always amazes me uh, in board agendas that the last item is new business mm. because all the committee reports, like, let's be clear, like what you actually need your leaders to discuss that you know the least about is this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. New business and trends is what you know least about. And it's the stuff that the bottom of the agenda that you never get to. Right. Right. And the same is true for staff as well. And so, Nick, your question of like, how do you fit it in? 
it's that you don't expect to like fit it in for four hours a day every day, right? What you'd expect, I, I would expect to fit it in is there to be a bite-sized sprint expectation of what trends are you hearing that one person collects from a bunch of people, listens for, you know, patterns. And when they hear something two, three, four times from two or three or four different leaders, that then surfaces as a place as necessitating a greater conversation. Right. If I was to if I was to ask you, as you think about, you know, September so far, if you will, it's off the top of your head, I know, but like September so far, and you think about any like disruptors or opportunities you've seen in society, in associations, in your organization, what is there one that comes to mind that you would say that you've seen? I mean, I don't know if this is in September now that I'm thinking about it, but like the student loan stuff, right? Like I think that's really impacting, I think, how a lot of folks are viewing. A, higher education, which not that my associations are in that space, but, right, they're not there formally, but I think they are there in the sense of, obviously, they're looking for college-educated students um, or new employees, right? So how is that impacting potentially how they might recruit somebody from a college to come work for them, um, right? But, like, the whole scope of that decision, which is pretty pretty big, right, a pretty big decision, Um, and then also managing some of those... um, political feelings of my own members then about that decision, right? And I think there's feelings on both sides of that conversation, because I think how they are taking that impacts then maybe other things that we might be trying to further in our organization, because now it's just, well, it's all this or it's all that, um, because of that thing that's happening that obviously we have no control over and truthfully doesn't really impact our industry in the same way that we would think some other decisions would. But so imagine, I mean, that's what you identified, right? Imagine two or three other members of your team identified the same thing, right? That's enough of a global voice of a disruptor mm-hmm. that like you're going to want to have a conversation. And where are the places that we may see discord and disharmony in the conversations that happen? Or where are there places that like we have specific strengths, mm-hmm. right? I've seen a number of organizations that like with this coming out, the organization has said, hey, if you are if you fall in this category, like we have an expert on staff that can help you do this, hmm. right? A pop-up service that's not going to last long, but like builds loyalty, right? Hmm. I've seen another organization, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, right? But it's like, oh, you could pay your student loans off earlier, right? That is a perfect time to invest in your learning. Here's opportunities as you pay hmm. these like, off earlier for you to invest in your learning. It has to be the right fit for the right organization, right? But the point is, that is a short-term trend of the moment. What does that say, right? And where is the opportunity for an organization, even if it's not directly in the, in the education space per se, to still think about the impact of it? Yeah, right? absolutely. And that, that was on the spot, right? That was two yeah. minutes. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't think it's carving out an hour every day. Right. Yeah, I like, I like your word bite-sized, right? Like it should be something quick, easy um, to, to grab and kind of read through and, and to share. You know, there's a lot of trends, right? And obviously, as you just mentioned, right? Like I just pulled one out of kind of thin air as we're just talking. Yeah. Um, how, how do you recommend, uh, are there certain locations? Are there certain kinds of resources that association professionals should be utilizing to stay current? Um, yeah. You know, should we only be looking at association publications? Should we be looking outside of our space? Like what, what do you recommend? How do we keep up? 
Uh, so I would say a few things to that. The first is that the probably the most important skill set that organizations need to survive, if not thrive right now, uh, is to develop deep curiosity and listening, right? A, an inherent and deep curiosity and listening means that there's going to be a recognition in your leadership that what they know today is insufficient to succeed tomorrow. They have to be in a constant learner mode. And that's going to drive, hopefully, them to assign resources, be it their time, leadership time, staff time, volunteer time, committee time, what dollars, surveying, what have you, right? To, to the pursuit of ongoing discovery of perspective. And I think that that commitment is what lends itself well to trend analysis. There shouldn't be a single source, right? The whole idea of being masterful at listening is recognizing that there's a host of different places of input. So should there should the only time that an organization hears the voice and perspective of its larger membership be once a year in a member survey? It's better than once every three years, but mm -hmm. how quickly do things change, right? So what are the means by which you get ongoing feedback and thoughts and hopefully hear those voices? Uh, us looking differently at our partners, our sponsors, right? That's not just about the money they give us, but the perspective they have, what often working cross-cutting across individual segments. What are they hearing and seeing? How do we elevate and honor the voice they bring? Uh, if you ask your membership, what are the top three other organizations they belong to besides your organization? Because almost everybody belongs to more than one organization. Mm -hmm. You know what those top three are and how are you listening to where they're focusing and what they're saying as well? Not so you can copy, but, right, but if you're going to better focus on what makes you unique in your strengths, you got to know where the others are focusing as well. And there's a similar model there for your allies too, right? Those that you get along with, you're looking to partner with. And then I absolutely think you have to look externally. You know, if you don't have somebody that's reading Harvard Business Review and Economist and Inc., <coughs> excuse me, in those places, right? That's that's one segment of this, certainly. Uh, there are those that are podcast junkies and there's podcasts <laughs> out there for it as well. I don't think it's a single stream, right? I think the whole point is that it's a multifaceted stream of data, that there has to be a system of investment for looking for the data, a system of secondary investment of what's the system by which we translate all this data and input into knowledge, right? And then a willingness on the part of leadership that when these knowledge opportunities surface in an ongoing way, they're willing to go into a design mindset to say, okay, from what we're hearing and learning, what is that change about the decisions we make? What does that change about the resources we invest, the value we produce, how we compete, how we align, how we message, so that none of these things are static? I mean, I, look, the, of the work that I do as a facilitator, a lot of it, not all of it, I mean, I do work in governance, we could talk about that and how leadership's changing, but a lot of it's on vision and strategy. And the whole point is you don't want a strategic plan today. What you want is a strategic framework that can be a North Star and guiding. And the plan, like how you do it, it then goes into operations because that's going to be rapidly disrupted and change, right? We right. can do in person. Now we have to do hybrid. Now we have to do virtual, right? Like shifting generations. And so organizations that set themselves to have an agreed upon like what they're trying to achieve with mission, but a flexibility in how they achieve it. So what they learn can change how they you know, put operations into effect, are going to have a system of broad listening, curating main theme, 
implica the implications of that then impacting how they execute upon those themes of disruption that hopefully make them thrive and survive in ways that others that just do their same thing every day don't. Too long of an, too long of an no, answer. No, no, I, I, I've, I've said before on these, these podcasts, what I appreciate about these conversations is this really just has me thinking right now. I'm like, okay, yes. How do I find that multi-channel of information and not from a, again, to your point earlier, right. I need to carve out half my day every day to this, but can I commit the first part of every morning, right? To just quickly scanning. Okay, great. I could probably do that, right? I'm making my coffee. I just want to confirm what, are there some articles that I'm seeing and um, share those with the team and really start to have that be a, a conversation and not just, I drop a link and say, hey, can you put this in the newsletter, right? Um, which is, I think, right. a lot of what we do right now. I say, oh, this was interesting enough to me. Maybe members will find some interest in it. And now actually starting to compile those conversations. You know, I used used a frame there that I just give differently think about because we're associations, right? The whole point of associating is that you're not alone, mm -hmm. right? The whole point of associating, whether you're a leader, a member, or a staff, is that association brings people together. So it's the question isn't how do I do this, right? It's how do we do this? Because there's going to be different companions, compatriots, colleagues that bring different skill sets, mm -hmm. right? And so even from a staff end, right? If you were to have your foresight kitchen cabinet of the three to five people whose like brains you absolutely love, right? Who they appreciate the wisdom you bring, but who every conversation you feel like they're the smartest people at the table, who's your group, mm -hmm. right? And then the best thing you can do is to get like a half hour coffee every week, every other week. And because you, they're going to seek your perspective, right? And you're going to seek theirs. Yeah. And then, then it isn't about what do I bring, right? It's about what do we bring? Mm -hmm. You'll have an obligation to be prepared for those conversations a little bit, right? To bring something, but they'll look in places you never do. Sure. Absolutely. Right. So I, I don't, I think for all of the work we do in our organizations, it's not about the, I mean, there's individual journeys and growth that are incredibly important, but that's not going to be the single source of strength that you need to find, right? We we're models of collaboration for a reason. We're models of community for a reason. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons we structure our board of directors as we should and as we do, and hopefully our staff as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, that clarification. Cause I, I think that does bring us into kind of this next phase of our conversation, which is, okay, so what kinds of trends are there then um, that you're seeing, I think, within the association world, right? How do we, um, I think this is a prime example, right? We're bringing in an outside source that helps us better understand what we can do. Um, yeah. You know, we're connected in some of the, the association industries. And so um, what are you seeing that I guess you would recommend um, maybe that association leaders are aware of currently and maybe go off and continue to work with their communities to, to learn a little bit more? Uh, so I'd say a few things. The, you know, what's interesting is that a number of these things actually were around since before 2020. They've just shifted more uh, now that we're through whatever demic stage you want to call this uh, <laughs> of, of our reality. So I, I do want to start not by identifying generations uh, but by acknowledging that there's a transition happening, it's particularly when it comes to management and leadership, but in workforce in general, 
Uh, I was with a group the other day that in their priorities, like we need to focus on millennials. What I want to say to them is you mean the people who are in their forties, they're already in management that have kids, <laughs> right? Like ship has sailed my friends, right? Yes. Like what, what's next? What are you looking for next? And I think this goes, I would tie it into, I just uh, wrote an article on LinkedIn, uh, did a senior staff session last week with a group and we were talking about executive presence. And the idea that the definition of executive presence is the growth of the balance of competence, confidence, and humility. And if you're asking for like the trends I see, this is what we're looking for in our leadership that we need, right? Competence to the end that we're looking for leaders who have experience and knowledge, but also are competent enough to know they don't need to know everything and know where to turn when they don't, right? Confidence so that we hopefully can see in the difficult times that our leaders can provide some ground of stability to know that like through their leadership, we will succeed, right? We will endure, uh, but not but not that they're promising things that won't come true. And then humility, that it's not that the leaders know everything. It's not about mm-hmm. humans. And if you're asking for the trends I'm seeing, when we see leadership in organizations that don't exude an executive presence that is that balance of qualities, I think you're seeing leadership in disruption, right? And that could be staff leadership. I think you're starting to see a wave of chief executives uh, that are either retiring, they've served their time, right? Uh, are being retired. Uh, either they navigated COVID well, but it feels like they may not be the right voice for the next chapter, or they didn't navigate COVID well and right organization feels like the change is needed. But I think from the flip side, you're also seeing a volunteer leadership uh, that is in this place of pull between a number of key factors. You know, this idea that we had this uh, upswell of awareness of the necessary nature for healthy organizations to have some conversation around DE&I, right? And now two years later, uh, I'm really seeing that there's organizations that like made their statements, but haven't done anything or being called out mm-hmm. on. And unfortunately, some organizations that like went with the trend of saying something and now I don't want to say are backpedaling, but like it was a fad and like, that's good. Let's move on. Like the next president's coming in and we'll figure out what we want to do. Uh, and so I think how the qualities of inclusivity and equity right, really play into the ongoing culture of an organization is a trend. Probably the generational shift factors into that as well. Uh, the thing I'd say that the trend I'd identify that I think many organizations are really struggling with uh, is what they frame as communication. What do you yeah, mean by that? Well, Many organizations will espouse they have great value, right? They have the right things, but they just can't get through the noise of anyone hearing about it, right? The priority of we need to build awareness. Uh, Almost every group I work with identifies that one of our priorities should be that we need to get our profession and the idea of the path to it into colleges, no, into high schools. We need to get our stuff into high schools. Mm -hmm. I I don't know about your high school education. (laughs) But the idea of 200 different industries trying to get into high schools, what does that practically look like? You know, I think there's these pieces of communication that or traditional organizations, we're talking about trends, think about as raising awareness. 
And the truth is, if you think about the number of emails you get, emails that are trying to bring you awareness are the ones that we usually just delete. Mm -hmm. Right. Instead, there has to should be a transition to communication that's about peer-to-peer -peer narrative and invitation mindset. Right. The voices we listen to today, the places that we trust in terms of where we invest our resources, be it our money, our time, our talent, our volunteer hours, our knowledge. Or when someone else is involved somewhere and says, this is the experience I had, right? That's that's the mindset we have is that we go off of reviews. We go off of recommendations, mm -hmm. right? We follow TikTok, see what someone's doing, want to do it as well. Uh, and so how are organizations transitioning their communication mindset to one of peer-to-peer -peer recommendation rather than really long emails with lots of bullet points of what you get, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a narrative element there. There's a better storytelling element there that's necessary. And then the places we really get involved or listen to is when we receive a personal invitation of some kind. And so we're thinking about like, what are the trends I'm seeing, right? It's a generational shift that organizations are slowly coming to or being forced to come to. How does that impact their leadership, how they offer, how they communicate? Uh, there's this place of the leaders that we need versus the leaders that we have. And how do we create pathways of onboarding and orientation and structures of leader identification that balance the DEI and this executive presence that we need? Uh, and then it's if truly organizations are succeeding and producing the right offerings that are producing the value and solutions their members need, how are they communicating it about in a way that doesn't just speak to those that like are, live on their email every day, but are on their phones and watching videos, right? Mm -hmm. for those that are like looking for their peers to tell them what to do for those that want to feel that like anything they get is tailored to them. I mean, that's one of the things we've known is coming. I mean, that Amazon mindset we've known is coming. We've just mm -hmm. leveraged the traditional loyalty we've built over decades with those that have been uh, part of our organizations that those just coming in, we don't have that loyalty with. So why are they going to, to do that? Yeah. This is where Nick is looking off into the distance. Yeah, thinking, well, thinking well, deep. Maybe we'll cut this awkward silence part out where I'm. I'm just thinking now. Um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I just want to dive deeper into one of these. I guess quickly. Yeah. Um, th this generational shift. Yeah. Because um, I think it impacts a lot of things, right? Uh, if if you really think about how it's gonna maybe approach the work we do, right? You mentioned, right, millennials. Um, <laughs> and I, I appreciate that you recognize our, our, our true age range now, because I feel like uh, for a long time, I've just heard people say, ah, millennials, and it, they just like mean anyone that's younger than like 45. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, like I'm, I'm complaining about an HOA, right? Like that's not, that's not right. what young people do, uh, unfortunately, right? So like, um, as, as you're thinking about this generational shift, yeah. What are some of the key things I think that an association, and I think you hit on one, which is that loyalty piece already, right? Um, you know, Gen Z, and uh, I don't know what the name for the generation even after Gen Z is uh, yet. Some, some call it Gen A, actually. Gen A, okay. Or the alpha Great. generation, yeah. All right, perfect. Um, you know, because if you're not already thinking about them, we're, I think you're behind the curve, right? Gen yeah. Z is entering the workforce. They're already part of who we are. They can join associations already, you're like, but their mindset's going to change in the, the near future too. So what are some of the key things around this generational shift that um, 
and I think I asked this, like, if you don't make these changes, right, or if you don't make some shifts, your association may not be here in 15, 20 years, right? Because the model will look vastly different, likely. Sure. I mean, look, I have a deep-seated belief and mindset that the need to congregate, like the need to be better together, I think is part of human nature. Um, so I want to be clear in what you just said. It isn't that an association representing the interest of your aligned profession won't exist. Correct. It just won't be yours. Right. Yep. Right. We, we see in many examples, uh, grassroots organizational formation and foundation building when a central, when a central association can't pivot quickly enough to accept differentiation of community formation. Right. So people go out and do it on their own. There's a reason that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it, if we focus specifically on generational shift, which is not new, generations continue to shift, right? Talk, talk to like 20 years ago what they thought about those that were Xers or Ys, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it, it's a continual shift and it isn't a place that isn't a negative. Uh, and it's also a place of opportunity. But what I would argue is that it's a place of continual effort because it doesn't stop. As we see a generation come through, come into leadership, go through the new one coming in, they've just had differentiated life experiences that have helped define for them what are the baseline metrics and foundations of our society. Mm -hmm. They've had differentiated ability to communicate, to purchase, to gain knowledge and understanding, to have expectations put on them. I was in a coffee shop for a meeting yesterday and at literally every table, were these pods of like high school students, college students, med students, high school students working on their computers, right? And working with each other. I don't know about you when you went to school, but like the idea of going to a coffee shop and working in a pod on my school, like that wasn't, that wasn't how I learned. Is it how I love to learn now? Absolutely. And like, and I love to see that some of that, lucky enough that how I love to learn is like sort of like come in, right? But this is a place of transition. And so, Nick, what I would say is that in terms of generational transition, the best organizations recognize that those that are in leadership that are in the mid to upper of their careers, which, by the way, includes millennials, right? The best things they can have do is to have structures in place to have deeper opportunities of learning of those that are not in leadership yet, right? To have deeper opportunity for those that are not yet fully in the profession. How do they consume information? How, how do they actually look to decide what they buy, where they get involved? What is meaningful to them? I mean, if you look at like Z going into A, so many of them have an entrepreneurial spirit because they have a computer, they have YouTube, right? They can make their videos, they can get followers, right? They're like these mini micro entrepreneurs. And so if you were to structure volunteer opportunities in your organization that isn't about serving on a committee with five years of service before you get on the board, but instead had entrepreneurial opportunities of service, right? Where you can develop, create something, we'll fund it. It'll be a sprint. You get to do it for six months, nine months, hand it off or not, right? Like what's the frame that speaks to their language? And that's not static. That has to continue to happen. But I think smart organizations are trying to understand that and are trying to incorporate that into how they invest resources into the structures of leadership, into how they purport board service, right? And that's not, say to, to say to somebody in their 20s, you have to serve for the next decade, right? 
what watch them run screaming like that's is that realistic you know uh and if it's not but you want to see uh, an integrated uh, and inclusive multi-generational place of service somebody has to change someone has to change uh and change is hard but necessary did that half did that half answer your question it does you know and i think it just continues to state right like any of these trends i feel like you can go even deeper on right so gen yes generations are shifting but in what way are they shifting and what, what is there a topic around that generational shift that we want to focus on right like you mentioned even just methods of buying right um yeah, that's something i know i've seen before of just are we going to have to are we going to have to start taking bitcoin or we have to look at apple pay right like all these other ways that payment can be exchanged yes. um you know it's not just the traditional e-check uh and credit card payment online anymore right like if we're not a nimble association and somebody in those younger generations sees that maybe they say oh i don't want to do that because i'm not ready to to make a payment in that way or whatever right like that that's not something that i would think about but that's something i feel like as an association i have to be thinking about Hey, Nick, can you pull out your checkbook for me? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't hey, I have a debit card, but I don't even use it. But can you, can you pull out a handful of change for me? You got change, right? Like, this isn't what we do anymore. And organizations that argue that, like, our technology is sufficient for where we are, my reflective question back is that, yes, there is a, a cost of investment and if you invested in upgrading your system, so as you said, you could take Apple Pay. What would be the differentiation of those that are looking to pay that they can double click, scan their face and paid? How many more transactions would you have than them having to go through a check issuance process, right? I don't know. I think it differs by industry, but there's a reason why uh, if you don't invest today, you're out. you're outdated tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm going to pivot here really quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we were just talking about a you know very specific kind of thing, but curious how you transition these conversations to the board level, right? Obviously, as a lot of association professionals, we're not the ones making decisions on investments. We're not the one making decisions on the direction or the framework of the association. You know, I, I think we've got some influence on a lot of those things, right? I think if you've got a good, strong relationship with your board, you can definitely gently nudge <laughs> uh, in certain directions, right? But eventually they're the ones that make the final decision for their association, as they should, right? It's, it is their association and their organization. But what recommendations do you have for bringing these conversations forward, for making those recommendations, or, or even maybe just the conversation of, look, if we don't do something on this, to your point, right, someone else will fill this void? Yeah. Um, I'd say a few things. The first is that what differentiates our organization should be mission. And so how mission and vision are central and key to how our leaders lead and to the conversations they have, that that is the litmus test by which they make decisions and by which they evaluate that which is happening in the environment. That is something like the language of strategy is, is a language. And so one of the things I would say is that if you want your leadership, and that goes, by the way, for the staff as well, especially senior staff. But every organization I work with wants their leadership to be fluent in their mission, their vision, their strategy. B2B, 
be able to easily espouse it, let it roll off the tongue, be able to integrate it into decisions, to incorporate it into the stories they tell, right? You don't become fluent by reading a piece of paper once. And so one of the things I ask organizations is where are you crafting space for fluency in your vision, mission, and strategy that then can be used as a reflective factor against when you hear disruptors happen, when you try to make resource investment decisions, where are you training your leaders to have fluency? Where are they practicing it? Where are they excelling in it? Is one thing I would say to that. You know, the second I would say is that although we rely on staff to be operational experts and we rely on our volunteer leadership to bring industry expertise and insight to lead us where to go, the more those things happen in isolation, the less effective they can be, right? The concurrent circles where there's a middle happy ground of partnership, that the board are not in the weeds and choosing the chicken, but have enough understanding of what staff are trying to achieve by when they'll achieve it, right? And staff feel they can tap into leadership or membership to get good perspective advice without leadership diving in and telling them what to do. And as well, right, the board having this place of vision, recognizing that staff talk to the members every day. They have really useful and insightful things to add, that the staff have to be able to be just as verbal and fluent in the vision if they're going to connect their work to it. That a mindset of partnership can really transform the potential of an organization, right? And from a practical standpoint, that means you need your board to be a team. How are you developing them as a team, right? The response I usually get to that is like, oh, we do board orientation. Board orientation takes the new ones and hopefully gives them some stuff to do. That's different than onboarding, which is every time you get a new board member, you have to think about it as a new team of the whole. And what are the experiences you give so they become a team, right? The same thing with the staff, senior staff team, executive leadership teams. What's making them not just individually siloed players to do their work, but a team that understands what they're doing and can support one another. And then concordantly, what's the one or two opportunities that brings those teams together so they understand how they have a mutually beneficial relationship? Uh, I think when organizations going to invest the team mindset like that, right? How, how are we investing not just to build awareness, but to build teams can really benefit an organization and the balance between the role and strengths staff play, leaders play, and what they could play together. Yeah, I like that, especially the, I think the partnership piece, right, is because I feel like so often you do hear it's the board plays strategy, staff plays operations and the day to day. And those two things there, I feel like I've heard, right, like there is this like hard line, there is this wall. But I think that, to your point, it's almost like a screen, there's still a separation, but things are flowing between and back and forth on both sides of that. So I think that that is a helpful way to recognize that if we've got that partnership, then we can bring these kinds of conversations up um, in a meaningful and um, helpful way. You know, there's occasions where uh, a change in president, a change in chair, uh, without there being a well-established culture of partnership can flex 90 degrees with personality. Uh, And so cultural commitments about what makes our organization work and the leaders we select, staff and volunteer 
are there because they're the right ones to focus and elevate that culture of partnership or just as important as the knowledge they bring to the table. As we, as we think about just kind of this overarching, I'm gonna call it a practice of trend thinking, right? Of just yep. kind of overarching conversation. Um, and as we kind of wrap up our, our time together, are there like one or two, I think you've left a lot of really good tidbits, but are there like one or two things that you would say, if you do nothing more around trend research, trend reading, these would be the, th the key things to do or the key things to practice? Uh, one, I would say what makes it onto the agenda is what's important. And so if what is on the agenda is a bunch of committee reports that reflect just a rubber stamping of actions that have been taken, then that is what you're saying is important for the survival of this organization. If what you're recognizing is that being more fluent in trends that are occurring so we can bring foresight and be thinking ahead, then where are you regularly putting that and carving out time for that kind of collaborative, inspirational, visionary conversation? So that's a very practical, if it's important, it needs time. The second is that I'd think really critically in terms of design about the role that you need leadership to play in that work. Are you looking for specific people to like listen in certain places and bring those things forward? Who are those that have the strength to listen across and curate well? Who are great facilitators that can like help ask the right questions to elicit when it comes to trend identification, right? And then what should happen from it to help make sure the right conversation happens. There's lots of other ones as well. I guess I'll say a third thing, right? So there should be space dedicated to this. There should be the right assignment of duties when it comes to trend analysis, identification, and implication based off of strengths. And so everyone understands their responsibility. And the final thing I would say uh, is practice. This, you're not magically good at this, either individually or as a team, right? This is a practice. This isn't a singular effort. And so if you think about it through a practice mindset, what's the routine of it? What's the ongoing nature? This isn't a bottom line revenue, right? Like we've checked the box, we're done for the year. This is an ongoing effort if it's done well. Uh, and so there has to be the commitment to that. Well, I really like your last one there of practice because it, it makes me believe then, right? That this is not a, um, we did it once and it didn't go well. Right? We tried to do trend conversations at a board meeting once and it, it derailed quickly and, and nobody could stay on topic. So we never yeah. do it again. Um, you know, I like this concept then of like, you've got to keep practicing. And I think depending on who your board is, right, um, that conversation can get easier as you go. Um, but then to your point of the right people and the space for it, all the three of those things kind of working in tandem, I think, help move that conversation forward. I mean, I think if everyone's happy, you're doing something wrong because that means you're not getting into the hard topics, right? Like, I mean, that means you're not addressing the most critical pieces that not everyone's gonna have the same opinion about. I'd push. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much. This has been uh, a really good conversation. Uh, obviously it should not be the end of it. Um, so for our <laughs> listeners, you know, keep going on this. Um, 
Before we close up, though, any um, any ways that if folks are interested in maybe continuing this conversation that they could reach out to you or, or find you kind of in the, the greater text Hello. sphere, the LinkedIn, et cetera? Uh, I, I believe I'm the only Lowell Applebaum that spells my name the way I do on LinkedIn. Uh, and I just posted an article today on executive presence. So if you want to read more about that, you could uh, read about that on LinkedIn. Uh, the company is Vistacova, V-I-S-T-A-C-O-V-A.com. Uh, you can learn more about the services we provide and the topics that we speak on uh, working with nonprofits and associations. And I love to talk about this stuff clearly. So I hope that others will join in the conversation. Well, thank you again. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like for us to explore, please send us an email at info at isae.org.